the last year and a half have given a new perspective to it, but the flexibility and the freedom of what is the hottest topic right now is, is remote work and, and hybrid work and return to work and all of it. I haven't thought about it once because this is what we do every day, right? I, I haven't gone to an office in years. And even when I did go in office, I largely made my own schedule as we all do in, in the profession. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was John TC. John is a senior account executive at Alation. And he's joined me today for a really fun conversation about sales. John did a cold outreach to me about being a guest on the show. He doesn't have a book or a large following. He wasn't trying to promote anything. He just wanted to talk about sales, which I like. And he was so thoughtful in his message to me that immediately stood out from among the hundreds of cold outreaches and pitches that I receive every year. So here's what you're going to like about John. For someone who's been in sales a relatively short time, 10 years, as opposed to the hundreds of years in which I've been selling, he is very thoughtful about sales, about selling. As you'll hear in our conversation, he's paying close attention to his sales environment and even closer attention to the things that he does and can do that have the right impact on his buyers. Also, sales is a family affair with John. His father, Michael, has spent his career of 30-plus years in sales and sales leadership. And so they're both going to join me on an upcoming episode uh, of the show, our first parent-offspring interview coming up this fall. I'm really looking forward to that. So before we get to John, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Well, pleasure to have you here. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a backstory is you cold called me, basically, <laughs> to be on the show, which, I mean, a lot of people do. I mean, we get well over a thousand inbound, unsolicited pitches for people to be guests on the show, but uh, not many break through. So, you did. Uh, so, tell me about that. What was the inspiration to, to reach out? I, it all started with how I discovered your podcast uh, a couple of months ago. It was um, Derek Wazinski's uh, Year Zero episode in particular. Mm-hmm. And after listening to that, first of all, a uh, big fan of his stuff, but then listening to some of the other episodes, yeah, sure. it was really hearing uh, the podcast fill a gap in the space, I think, in talking about the profession and, and the trade almost in a real way. Uh, and so I, I think it sparked me to reach out just one, I was inspired by it, but two, you know, you mentioned a couple of times that looking for new voices in the space and I'm certainly not self-proclaiming myself as one, but, uh, coming up on a decade in tech sales and, and starting to evaluate my career so far. Um, but really just wanted to, to chat with you about, you know, experience on, on the newer side as a millennial in the profession. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, more recently there's a wall street journal article, uh, published last week at the time of recording about, you know, the profession as it oh, goes yeah. we'll, forward. So we'll, we'll that talk was another that. thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you did reach out. And not just because you were <laughs> saying nice things about me. First of all, I love, I love Derek. Derek is, yeah, I wish I could have him on the show more frequently. Uh, always a pleasure. And he's got such a great perspective on work and life that uh, I wish more people had in this profession. So, yeah, Derek Wazinski, for people that uh, want somebody else to follow, definitely worth following. So, um, so tell us, well, how did you get into sales? I, unlike most people who say, hey, 
I, you know, I ended up in it accidentally, or I never thought I'd be in sales. Uh, a lot of lineage in in the profession you know, okay. through uh, my family, um, in particular, my father's been in sales leadership for over my gosh, I think he's coming up on thirty seven years. And so, uh, what's he done? So he's been uh, started his career at a company called Lanier that was then acquired by Rico. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. in that yeah. space, copiers and now today, all, all kinds of different IT services. Well, uh, did you start at Rico? I did. So I out yeah. of school, I was at that. Uh, I went to Penn State in their business school and was at kind of a crossroads leaving school as to. I don't want to call it the dream job, right? But the stereotypical dream job of mm-hmm. um, something in in the sports managed sports marketing space, oh, okay. uh, with very little stability and, and a lot of probable travel and, and moving around versus uh, tech sales, which uh, which offers you some of that, but um, quite frankly, a lot more money to be made. So mm-hmm. uh, I ended up going with that choice. Rico was was a great is a great company and, and was great to me uh, both through that process and, and the years I was there. Okay, but now before we could jump into your sales career, so tell me about dance marathoning. Yes, so Penn State Dance Marathon is the largest student-run philanthropy in the world. Uh, it benefits wow. okay. a charity called Four Diamonds, which supports uh, Pennsylvania families that have children that are fighting cancer. Uh, something I'm really, really passionate about, and uh, was very active in the fundraising around. You know, while I was at Penn State. And uh, you could definitely say that that contributed to some of, not only my love for sales, but, but certainly driving towards um, something you're passionate about, number one. And number two, uh, tying a financial element to that, too. <laughs> right. Well, so tell us about the dance marathon, though. Because, I mean, now, you're too young maybe to have seen this movie, though maybe you did. A movie called They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Which was, uh, did you ever see that? Mm-mm. Oh, no. see, you're involved in, it's a movie about dance marathons. Uh, let's see. I think it was Robert Redford and Jane Fonda, maybe. Um, it's been years, years since I've seen it. But it was about back in the day, in the I think the 20s or 30s, where this was a thing, you know, in the United States. It was like a competitive endeavor. You know, couples would do these dance marathons. Um, I think it was like, you know, professional, maybe even if I remember correctly. But I never knew that, and I was in one. That's crazy. Um. <laughs> well, see, yes, I thought for sure you'd know that. So. So yeah, you need to go check that movie out. Um, yes. I don't know. Did you Google it yet while we were talking? I was. I just <laughs> typed it down because I'm definitely going to now. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, first thing that came up. Yeah, let's see who was Jane Fonda, Michael Sarazen, not uh, ah. not Robert Redford. Uh, yeah, a bunch of other old actors that no one would recognize these days. But, uh, yeah, you'll have to check it out since you were into that. So what would you guys do? Just so explain the dance marathoning and how yeah, that would work. Yeah, so um, I mentioned the, the philanthropy side of it, but the, that all culminates in an annual event that happens uh, on Penn State's campus that is the dance marathon. So if you are selected to dance, which is um, a very selective process through different organizations on campus. I was in part of an independent organization, but very big with um, fraternities, sororities, right. um, other types of things. And you stay on your feet and you dance for 46 straight hours all weekend. Uh, you're in the Bryce Jordan Center, which is their basketball arena on campus. Right. And it's so and that's kind of the event that culminates it. Yes. So basically, when you solicit funds, then for the support, the charity, it's you get paid based on how many hours you, you stay upright. It's... You, some organizations do it that way. Other organizations just say, hey, the more that we raise in advance of this, the more dancers we get to participate. 
Um, okay. And so that it's kind of a combination of the, of the two. Uh, and really the during the weekend as well as when, you know, obviously it's it's um, streamed online and, and donations are solicited that way, too. And then, of course, it culminates at the end with all the dancers finally sit uh, a little delirious. And, and, and oh, I can imagine. Sure. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh, the total is released. So uh, last year's total was just over 10 million dollars. And I wow. think, they're, yeah, they're well over, I think, 170 million total uh, all time, which very, is which very, is very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. OK, well, if this has been the 20s and 30s, you could have done that as a career before you got back. <laughs> uh, but now I'm sure there's other crazy things we could do like that. So, all right. So you've been in sales about 10 years, right? Yes. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned about yourself? <sighs> I've learned I'm much more of an introvert than I thought I was, and I'm mm, not as much of a, um, I don't align well with the stereotypical personality of a salesperson. I don't think maybe, maybe customers of mine or, or my wife might tell you differently, but I don't, I, that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned, mm-hmm. which I think aligns with a lot of what you talk about on the podcast in terms of there's right. no, you know, archetype of a, of a salesperson. No, no. I mean, I, yeah, I would never, I knew I was sort of socially shy when I got into sales. Um, but yeah, I'm as more conscious of being introvert when I got in because I was surrounded by people who weren't. Yes, <laughs> when I came into sales, there's much more an emphasis on sort of the being gregarious, uh, a sort of a basic qualification, and and yeah, I would meet all these people. It's like, oh my god, they can they can talk to other people so easily, right? It was like, yeah, that wasn't easy for me. Uh, I think it's also like you think about the other definition of, of introversion, extroversion. It's said that extroverts get their energy from being with other people and introverts recoup their energy when they're not with other people. And I've kind of learned I'm very much the latter, mm-hmm. uh, which has certainly been very interesting the last year and a half, you know, sure. not being with a lot of people. Um, I went through you know some tough moments like everybody, but I, I've feel like I really adjusted a lot better than a lot of folks. And that's really when I kind of learned about myself. Wait a minute, it's because I'm not missing that yeah. people element of it as much. I love connecting with people one-on-one like we're doing now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those larger settings, it's just not – I'm not as aligned to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, I felt somewhat the same way, though. I'd you know, been working independently for two decades. So, um, But early on, when I started my own, own company, it was just me, and I was like – yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy being with people. I've yeah you know, thrived on meeting customers throughout my entire career, interacting with people. But yeah, I've always uh, always been self sufficient <laughs> when it comes to that. All right. So the biggest lesson you've learned about sales, maybe that's different than you thought it would be. It's so much more about. Solving problems, consulting, solving business cases than coercion, persuasion, all of the typical, stereotypical things about sales. I think back to my time at, at Penn State, tremendous university, great business school. Right. But I remember thinking, I, mean, I was a marketing major, right? Because sure. few schools have sales majors. And uh, Penn State's business school does such a great job with case competitions and different business. Ca- and I never thought that was for me, right? I always thought, well, I, uh, that's, you know, it's for people who want to go into consulting or right. maybe finance. Um, I just did it. I've had imposter syndrome when it came to that. And after 10 years now in sales, but wait a minute, that's what I do every day. Like that, that's what this profession is. And if I could tell myself, you know, back at age 2019, uh, Hey, sure. 
dude, you should, you should participate in that stuff. That's going to be your career. Um, that's probably the biggest takeaway I have. <laughs> well, but let me ask a question about that because yeah, I, you, I'm great. You have that perspective, but do you think that perspective is widely shared? Because I don't get a sense that it is, right? It, it definitely isn't. I think, and you've talked about it on, on plenty of episodes with what we consume via, you know, mass media. Of course, there's all the classic sales movies. Um, but even recently, like you think about The Office, right? Like Todd Packer is the, mm. you know, the outside sales rep, right? And he's kind of the idiot that ever that's, you know, comes in and he's loud and brash and whatever. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I, even, you know, Dwight in The Office, right? He's, he's a, also a very successful sales rep, but, um, He's a weird guy and he's not really a people person. And uh, so I think it's an interesting, like a lot of my experience, I don't think it's widely held. I think a lot of people associate that with, you know, the Todd Packers and the Jordan mm-hmm. Belfords of the world uh, right. and, and not with what we actually do every day, at least in enterprise B2B sales. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's still, yes, provides lots of room for growth in the profession. <laughs> it's maybe the kind way of, kind way of <laughs> saying it. Uh, all right, so just two more questions, and we'll hop into this talk about this Wall Street Journal articles. So, what have you found that you enjoy the most? Uh, you know, it's interesting. The last year and a half have given a new perspective to it, but the mm-hmm. flexibility and the freedom uh, mm-hmm. of you know th- what is the hottest topic right now is is remote work and and hybrid work and return to work and all of it. I haven't thought about it once because this this is what we do every day, right? I, I haven't gone to right. an office in years. Uh, right. And even when I did go in office, I largely made my own schedule, as we all do right. in, in the profession. And so um, it, it sticks out to me in a new way. Now I became a father a year ago oh, this coming week. Thank you. Um, but oh, being you able, a birthday, birthday this week coming up. Yeah. Big birthday coming up. Big uh, birthday. Yes. So it is um, chaos in our house with a, with a one-year-old and a dog running around. And there's days I pull my <laughs> hair out. But I'm also very grateful that, you know, what I've kind of come to enjoy is that flexibility and freedom in a new way now being there for, uh, you know, to see every you know moment with, with my son growing up. And, um, you know, I know you talk a lot about with, with your kids growing up, kind of easing back on the pedal a little bit. Mm-hmm, and right. this profession affords you the ability to do that because we are measured by output uh, right. and very tangible things. Yeah. Okay. So last sort of general question, mm-hmm. yeah, rapid fire questions here. Um, what do you enjoy the least or what's least enjoyable? Oh, um, the pace of any given enterprise engagement is as, you know, anybody that, that works in the enterprise SaaS or enterprise you know, software space, it's just can be a drag um, mm. because it's something that you think about all day, every day. What, what am I missing? What else could I be doing? It's a constant, um, self-analysis and, and deal analysis yeah. all the time. And I think, you know, that can drive you crazy. You you talk a lot about mental health and sales, and, mm-hmm. and I'm glad you're bringing light to it with the podcast. Uh, I think that's the part I enjoy the least is, is the answer a lot more than I would think is there's nothing to do right now. Like it's, it's right. just is, has to happen naturally, but right. we're not wired like that. We're not, we're not in this profession to think like that. So that's the thing I enjoy the least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sales abhors a vacuum, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's sort of oftentimes a trouble point because they rush to fill it with crap. Um, so, all right. 
Well, so move on. You talked about this Wall Street Journal article that came out last week um, about, hey, we've got all these high-paying jobs and not enough people to fill them. And, of course, the highlight of the article was uh, yeah, featured our founder, Ring DNA founder Howard Brown and Amber Hoos, one of our AEs. But, um, yeah, I, I thought it was sort of interesting, you know, reading the article because I had interest in your take on it because um, – and we'll get into some of the details because it's like, yeah, some people like quoted it. It makes me wonder, these people even familiar with sales these days? Um, so, but I thought the thing that was sort of funny is, is you start, you know, demand. They talk, the article talks, demand for sales roles is shot up. Uh, but recruiters say they struggle to convince people to make sales a career. And this is sort of the irony, as, as I point out oftentimes, is there was this sort of, iconic report put up by Forrester, I think in 2015, saying B2B sales is going away, basically, right? They're going to lose 20 to 25% of jobs by 2020. Now, during that same period, even before the pandemic, sales employment skyrocketed <laughs> as, as more and more SaaS companies took off and bring in more inside sellers and so on. Um, interest, are you involved in hiring and recruiting at Alation? I am not uh, in my present role beyond uh, we do have a great referral program, so I do try to take yeah. advantage of it. Uh, sure. and we're certainly growing very rapidly, but uh, not directly. I was in a leadership role uh, in a prior role at Rico. It was the only time I was recruiting and, and mm -hmm. hiring in about 2013, 2014. Okay. Well, what's your sense at Alation? Are they having a hard time finding candidates that they want for the roles? It doesn't, I don't think it's a, I think it's right now a little bit the opposite problem, which is a good thing to have as a, you know, a rapidly growing startup. We have a lot of demand for the roles. I think the, um, the challenge in, in the space is figuring out there's, you know, in this article it talks about, right, there's, there's some folks that are trying to either figure out if sales is for them or, you know, earlier in career and they're not sure about the entire concept of sales. Um, right. You also have a crop of folks who are uh, have been in sales for a while, but at the same time, it's you know you start to get rooted in in different industries or, or networks or what have you. So it's kind of finding that blend of someone who uh, can balance both. But I think when it comes to you know attracting people to the profession, it, it's a tough thing to f to figure out when you're um, especially when you're you're rapidly growing, right? I think it's right. about all right. How do we balance development with hey, we got to make the quarter, right? <laughs> Yeah, which is not a balance that struck very, very well for the most part, right? And I think, you know, we, it's, we have sort of two, well, it's more than two factors, but, you know, one is, yeah, we are at an age where it's easy to focus on sort of metrics to the exclusion of developing people, uh, which is sort of the default mode for a lot of management types. But also, we still, you know, we haven't made sales seem attractive to, 50% of the population, which is women, because we still deal in these, these outdated stereotypes about hunters and extroverts and, and uh, you know, macho sales management that doesn't make it seem very attractive to, to women wanting to come into the, and understandably so. I might want to change my earlier answer to my least favorite thing in sales because everything right. just summarizes it. Yeah, <laughs> is okay. that, right. that challenge, that, you know, outward, and we still do it, right? In job descriptions, you read it all the time. As sure. Why. And you're, uh, whether consciously or subconsciously, you're turning people off for the role based on um, things you, th you think you want 
right? But what you find is exactly what you said. You're you're excluding folks who don't see themselves fitting in that sort of macho, aggressive hunter. Uh, Which aren't even know, relevant, hunter. right? I mean, I, I mean, do you? I never once. <laughs> I said so. Lots and lots of stuff, hundreds of millions of dollars. It's just like I never considered myself a hunter. I mean, I was I was a problem solver. Um, and I, it's yeah, I've talked about this on the show, but I think we need to retire the word hunter um, because if anybody knows the way that hunting takes place in real life these days, <laughs> I mean. Deer hunting. I, yeah, I'm drafting an article about you know deer hunting. I come from Wisconsin, big deer hunting place, and the way deer hunting takes place is is you know people go and find their location. They're going to hunt. They build a stand that they sit in, so they they're stationary. But before that, they may go out and you know put various uh, lures and attractants like doe urine and so on on trees or maybe food to attract the deer to them. So what does that sound like? Does that sound like Hunting, or does that sound like inbound marketing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That summarizes it perfectly. And I think you know we we make it sound like uh, sales is you know you're in Game of Thrones out there with a sword charging at people. Right. Like it's just not they, what it is. No, no. I mean, yes, it's competitive and and so on. It's part of the competition. It's part of what we love, right? But, I think even competition. Sometimes you think about you know the the classic three T's, right? Timing, talent, and territory. You can only control one of those things. <laughs> so one of the things that's eaten me up, you know, over the over my decade so far is um, I am very competitive, but it took me a long time to realize that I can't control the other two things. And if there are are peers of mine that are better stacked in those areas that are beating me, it's not necessarily an indication. It took a long time to realize that. So I think even you know making it about competition sometimes you get some people that are turned off by. Uh, comp- competing in something you don't have a lot of control in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you don't control the product. You don't control the mm-hmm. price. Um, but I think that if you are competitive, at least for me, and is for me one of the fun things, the most challenging parts that was, you know, creative, demand creativity, and I always have thought about sales as first and foremost of a creative pursuit, is, yeah, how do I get the competition to react to me? And that's always my goal, right? How do I get the competition to react to me as opposed to me being reactive to them? And as an individual seller, there's lots of things I think you and you can do. Yeah, you can influence product, can can influence price, but you can influence how you are perceived by the buyer, the way you interact with them, the connections you build with them, the credibility you build, the trust you build, uh, the perspectives you bring on the things that they're trying to achieve. But I said it's creative. Creative competition, I, yeah, I think that's a good blend of it, and and also competing with yourself, ignoring the scoreboard in the sense of you know how you're doing, whatever. Competing with, hey, can I get a little better than I got yesterday? Can I do a little bit more than I did yesterday? And a lot of that is driven by self development that needs to happen. I mean, there's a it's a whole separate topic around training versus self development, but I think that's a big part of competition too. Yeah, no, I think that's it's a great point to bring up. I think that. Yeah, every day in sales, you first and foremost compete against yourself. You compete against this idea that, eh, should I make that extra call? Uh, should I, you know, go the extra mile? I mean, you're always, we're human, human nature, right? It's, it's, uh, it's not just a matter of discipline or willpower. It's just, yeah, we're competing against certain instincts we have, and we just, yeah, 
we have to win more often than not, right? That's it. And selling yeah. yourself sometimes on doing it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think if anybody's gone through sales and hasn't gone through a period where it's felt harder than it, than it needs to be, then, yeah, they haven't been honest with themselves. Because I, mean, I remember in my first, my first year, yeah, I was not a, never a big fan of cold calling. I mean, it, that was my job. You know, we had physical cold calling in person, uh, you know, driving out to a business park and parking the car and uh, walking from door to door to door to door and doing that for quite a while. Yeah, and there were days it was just like, yeah, yeah, I'll kick off at lunchtime today because it's just too much for me. I, I started my career the exact same way, and I think it's um, – I, I look back now, you talk a lot about the return of the full cycle rep, and I think that while I don't uh, anticipate wanting to go back to a business park right now in a suit and, and do that right. again per se, uh, immediately given that we're still <laughs> working through this <laughs> pandemic, but I think um, – that full cycle was so important and is so important for all of those elements of it. And I think mm-hmm. that's where, um, you know, if you learn to get good at that part of it, uh, mm-hmm. you, you can drag a lot of that through the rest of the sales cycle versus, you know, I think a little bit of the division of labor around sourcing your own opportunities and territory uh, has also caused some challenges for sure. Well, you create two friction points because two people need to make connections with the buyer. Um, it's not that it's being done successfully, but it's it is an extra fiction point. You shouldn't we shouldn't kid ourselves. Um, and at some point, yeah, I think it's come back, and I think this could be a competitive issue because uh, yeah, I do have a rule of thumb, which is that your odds of winning the business are in inverse proportion to the number of times you force the buyer to tell you their story. Huh. Think about that. I have I have not thought about it in that way, but I about two hours ago got off of a call where we it was really a lot of um, forcing the buyer to to feel like they were telling their story for the tenth time. But exactly to your point, it was because hey, we really want to make sure we got this right. And by the way, that story started a year and a half ago, so that story changes yeah. fifty times. Oh, it does. Yeah, and it's not as it's not about the point of the customer changing. It's about well, you know, I'm going to bring in my manager, then we're going to bring in the director, then we're going to bring in the VP of sales, and every time a new face is brought into the account, well, tell us what you're interested in. It's like, <laughs> right? It's like, uh, don't you have Salesforce? Don't you use it? I mean, that's why we put all that information in there. Or we'll do a pre-call briefing or, you know, something. But it's, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> crazy, crazy. So another thing that, that was talked about in that article as is <laughs> talking about, and I don't know if, if this was a quote from somebody. I think maybe it's just an article itself saying that uh, you know businesses try and demonstrate that that they don't operate in a pressure cooker environment, pressure cooker environment anymore, and or work the phones the way the sales workers once did. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Just exactly who did you talk to? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll definitely call uh, BS on that one. And that is nothing yeah. to say of uh, the, the culture here at Elation or otherwise. I, I don't think it's, uh, you know, it certainly doesn't feel like a pressure cooker in a negative way. But uh, yeah, I, I, would, I don't think that accurately characterizes uh, at least the demand gen portion of, uh, of the, the profession. Well, yeah, well, I think any, any part of it. I mean, the, 
Uncrushed just released a survey of sellers on mental health. As, you know, 75% feel stressed or extremely stressed. And I've referred to this several times on the show, but it's is that really necessary? I mean, I, I don't think it's necessary. I mean, I've been in environments where it hasn't been that way. Um, but certainly more often than not, that's the way it is. It is. And I, I've, you know, what has contributed to reduction of that for me as it pertains to some of that. And I've seen some other folks or I've learned rather from other folks. And that's why I do it is, yeah, if you build a territory and build a network and sustain that network, um, that element of stress starts to go away a little bit because you know, you have people that you can reach out to and and start to kind of establish that reputation over time. um, And you're not sitting there stressing about why do I not have enough pipeline you might not have right. enough pipeline because maybe there's not the product market fit's not there yet, or maybe just you're a little early to the market or mm-hmm. what have you. But it's not going to be because you you can't get conversations. Uh, stressing about getting conversations is, is a different thing entirely. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's explore that a little bit. So um, when you say network, define really what you mean. I mean, is this like the old-fashioned days? I have a Rolodex of people, or how are you defining your network? You know, when you talk about relationship, right, I I kind of view it the same way where it's not a friendship. It's not a, I'm not a big, you know, golf dinner type of person when it comes to these things. It's much more about a, um, oh my gosh, what's, there's a, there's a word and I'm blanking on it. I think it's in Mandarin that means a mutually beneficial uh, exchange of Mm -hmm. relationships. I forget the word, but it's that. So basically looking at it like, hey, you know, if I can help you out, maybe I met you in a previous sales cycle or uh, you were a customer of our, our com- the company I worked for before and we got to know each other from whatever. Um, it's, an, it's a large network of loose ties that, you know, is mutually beneficial when it, right. it needs to be, but it's not forced when it doesn't. And I think right. that's a big part of, you know, doing right by people. Uh, mm-hmm. Making sure you're relevant to people, but also having the self-awareness to know when you're not and not trying to, you know, hey, will you take a look at our product just because I like you, right? Like, if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. Right. But yeah, I think the thing that you bring up that's really important that, that many people miss is is you're, you're self-aware of the fact that, that there is this network that you're building, that you are building these, these connections, that you're going to maintain these connections, that they have, even though there are a network of loose connections, as you said, in aggregate, it has value. And it's something that's just going to grow in value as you move throughout your career. And Keith Ferrazzi talks about this ex- extremely articulately in his book, Never Eat Lunch Alone, um, is, is not, I don't think enough people focus on this idea that one of the assets that they're building is this network. And it's not, may not be a, in the past, you know, people say, well, we'll hire this salesperson on the strength of their Rolodex, right? I mean, and that was always an illusion. That was a myth because it didn't translate that well. But this idea of a network does, I believe. I agree. And I think it's where I've seen it impact. You know, we talked about the stress aspect, right? I mean, when I um, mm-hmm. joined Alation about, uh, just coming up on a year ago, uh, you know, it was through warm, warm relationships that I had had here. But when I came into this you know, similar territory that I'd been in, there's no stress. I, I kind of already know who, okay, here's who I probably should be engaging with. More importantly, here's right. maybe who won't benefit from us right now, but right. you know, whatever. And, and still further, Hey, you know, you may even be in a different role. It's irrelevant to what I do now, but I still want right. to 
at least try to help you with whatever you're working on uh, if it's exactly. appropriate. Exactly. Yeah, the offer to be able to help. It's it's bilateral. So at all times. Yeah. So before you joined Alation, your the company you're at it wasn't the exact same product, right? You weren't serving the same customers. Uh, similar. It was in the BI space. A company called ThoughtSpot, uh, okay. great startup in that in that space. I think they're in their Series E now. Um, but similar space in the, in the kind of the data office and going into that those sort of business unit uh, uh, data and analytics folks. Right. Uh, so a lot of the same network in terms of that, but but a little different in the sense of um, the challenges that that are tackled. Right. And I think right. you know, moving into uh, now data governance and things like that, it's, it's a different audience, but but close enough. Right. A lot of the people right. I was working with, you know, either they had responsibility for that now or they know mm-hmm. the person that does, and that's a pretty easy introduction if you're um, if you build enough of a reputation that you're not going to waste their time and not bug right. them if it's not real. Right. Well, let me ask you a question. So, yeah, in terms of allied to this idea of of building a network is so from your perspective, your you know, vision of what your future holds is so do you see yourself staying in an individual contributor role? Where the you know the value of this network you know continues to grow and uh, yeah you're able to have you know, perhaps less stressful environment not worried about hitting anything but your own number and yeah great career doing that or where do you see yourself going? It's a great question. Uh, I dipped my toe into leadership way too early. Um, I mean, it, I, our team did well and, and it was mm-hmm. a, a good opportunity, but re- relative to my enjoyment of it way too early. Uh, <laughs> I think eventually, <laughs> I think eventually I could, you know, in the, in the way of um, a lot of what I learned about networking came from uh, a shout out to Phil Tanaccio, who was a, uh, a vice president at, at ThoughtSpot, but previously at, at Click and some other mm-hmm. uh, you know, tech companies here in the Philly area. Um, you know, he transitioned from from an individual contributor role to a leadership role, and was mm-hmm. so um, giving around these lessons and his own network, even. And, and I could right. absolutely see myself at some point, you know, kind of making a similar transition to to doing that. Um, right. You know, I look at somebody who's made that transition like him. I also look at somebody like like my father has been in leadership for most of his thirty seven years, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Loves it. Absolutely loves it. Loves giving back to people, right. developing people. And I've inherited right. some of that too. I could, I'm going to scratch that itch at some point, I think. Yeah, I think that, that really sort of becomes the, at least in my mind, that's, that is sort of the, the decision criteria, right? I think if you have that passion for developing people, um, yeah, management may be the right to go. Uh, but if you don't have that and you think it's just a route to more money or you think it's a route to power or whatever, yeah, bad motivation because we see that in spades today with sales leaders, sales managers, uh, sales, I call them sales bosses that, yeah, have the wrong wrong motivations and don't understand they're going to only succeed if their people, not just their people hit their numbers, if their people succeed as human beings. Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think you can make that transition at various points. And I know... In my career, I've known lots of peers who have gone in and out, right? Have said, yeah, I wanted the management role and then stepped back. I said, no, yeah, I'd much prefer to have more control over my existence as an individual contributor, make more money, which you must always do unless it's a stock play, uh, as an individual contributor. And yeah, I knew lots of people just, yeah, been in management, backed away, said, nope, nope, just want to want to control my own patch. And I think it's great. 
And it's, isn't it interesting, a lot of the characteristics you talk about that are, you know, things that drive you towards sales management, they don't really sound like you're aggressive hunter, you know, the, the words that you throw out there for individual contributors. It's almost like it's a completely different thing that, you know, you talk about attracting people into into sales, you know, yeah. from a contributor standpoint, but also, you know, at a management level, like it's a totally, it's it has nothing to do with a lot of those adjectives. No. No, and that's, you know, this has been written about for decades. So, you know, why do we continue to take our top producers and make them managers? Which is still, yeah, an ongoing mystery. Why we do that? Because, yeah, they oftentimes don't have the, the characteristics you want for a manager. And it's nice, yeah, okay, how are we going to reward them? Well, there's other ways to reward people. Maybe, you know, a bigger patch, maybe a small team they work as part of. I mean, there's other things you can give people other than managing people. Um I've also found too, you know, this this uh, AESDR relationship can be developmental. I, I have had a sure. lot of fun with. I have an SDR who graduated from college two months ago. Literally, <laughs> this is he just started in the professional world, right? And I'm having a blast. I mean, it's it's been great that I, you know, you can also find different ways as an individual contributor to scratch that itch. But may, maybe you're not ready to go full bore into management, but right now I'm really enjoying the conversations I have with him and, and seeing the development right. and all of that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm not fiscally responsible for his number in the way that you would be. So it's a nice balance right. that I got right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's like having grandchildren. <laughs> you can influence them, but you can hand them back to your parents, their parents. Um, that's, a, that's a great comparison. Yeah. I think there's something, something to that. But I also think that this then becomes sort of a measure that companies should be looking at is, you know, before you promote someone, are they managing peers, right? Are they helping peers? Is this something that you're getting feedback on? Are you witnessing it? Are you seeing it? You know, do they set aside time to do it instead of, you know, purely off self-interest? They're helping helping their their peers or, yeah, you know, people that are new on the job. And for me, that's always been the criteria I look for. And doesn't mean that you're necessarily promoting the best performer. And exactly. I think that, yeah. And so I think this gets back to a larger conversation about how do we, how do we create career paths for people that they can see that reward them in certain ways, whether it's money or, you know, again, patch responsibilities, you know, you get bigger accounts, whatever, whatever. Um, without saying, yeah, it has to rest of the flow through management. It's a lot of, like, I mean, you mentioned a lot of drivers that can do it. Um, my guess as to why it's not happening right now has to do with standardizing the comp plan uh, and, mm. and kind of, hey, well, you know, we did it for that person, so we have to do it over here too. That stuff, um, you know, especially as you grow as a company, it can get, yeah. I'm sure, challenging. And, and even in the year that I was managing, I tried to do a little bit of that, and that was always the response I got, which is, hey, I love the idea. We don't have a comp plan that can support it, and <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Yeah, well, again, bigger, separate conversation about compensation. You know, is it time to get rid of commission and sales, get rid of quota, all these things that I think will people will start addressing because it's it's arguably holding us back in many respects. So, um, well, John, well, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Andy. Really pleasure. Yeah, well, we'll have to do it again. But um, so if people wanted to connect with you, LinkedIn, I presume? LinkedIn, J-O-H-N-T-E-C-C-E. And you might see something called TC Tuesday flying by on your LinkedIn feed. That is uh, my dad, Michael TC, who puts out a weekly video 
uh, on all things motivation, sales, and leadership. So I had to give him a plug for it because uh, it's it's become a thing on on LinkedIn. I don't know how. So Michael TC. Yes. All right. Just I'm going. Oh, I'm spelling it wrong. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) I know every everybody wants to sit here and listen to me. Google, it's great radio. (laughs) Okay. There he is. There he is. Okay. Well, good. Well, I'll follow your dad. Tell me needs to connect. So, um, all right. Well, John, thank you so much. And we'll look forward to talking again soon. Andy, thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, John Tisi, for sharing his insights and his experience with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.